Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. We decided to be a good business, but it was in the process of trying to do that stuff, I was very, very aware that without some kind of greater depth of compassion and empathy and love and humility within me, then it was going to peter out, run out of energy, and it wouldn't go anywhere. So I think the further we go down this journey, the more we as leaders need to embody some of those what some people might call more spiritual um, things and changes within us that will make us not only a better person, but a, a much better business leader as well. This is Paul Hargreaves, CEO at Cospel Fair and Florist. He's also the author of two inspirational books, Forces for Good and The Fourth Bottom Line. He's also a B Corp ambassador, and he often speaks to leaders who want to change the world through better businesses. And it was a huge honor to have Paul here as a guest. His businesses are a great example of how you can actually build a business that's financial sound, but also makes a positive impact on the world. And in this conversation, we talk about purpose, business as a force for good, culture and compassionate leadership, Paul's learnings about growth when you're building a heart-centered business, and what the biggest challenges are when you're building a purpose-driven organization. He's learning from transferring cultures to new ventures and how you grow yourself as a founder and how you keep reinventing yourself as the business mature. Before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter, Maverick Talk, that is packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. You'll find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. Now, grab your notebook. This is a masterclass in building a heart-centered business. Enjoy. Today, we should be talking about two subjects that's so, so critical, I believe, for the future of business. It's actually having business as a driver for good, a force for good, as our guest talks about today. And also, how are you actually going to create that business without the right kind of leadership approach? So we're going to dive into that today. And today's guest, uh, Paul, uh, I met the first time on a, another podcast. I was listening into, uh, so I was running in in the hills here behind where I live. And uh, he was talking on the Hungry podcast and uh, he was talking about, you know, creating businesses for good. And Paul uh, runs uh, a business, uh, two, diff- two different business, both a, a food business, but also a wholesale business. Uh, and he was one of the first B Corp businesses here in, in the UK. 
And it's so interesting to hear actually somebody that writes about it and talk about it that has actually practiced it. And I think, therefore, I've really been excited about having you here on the show today, Paul. So so welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. I'm looking forward to this. Paul, uh, for people who haven't you know, heard about you before and uh, what you do, could you just give like a, you know, your elevator pitch? Because it's quite an incredible journey you've been on and what you're passionate about. Okay, well, I think probably most people haven't heard of me, but... Um... So I, I wear a few hats, so this this may take a couple of minutes. But I the main business is a company called Cotswold Fair, and we are a wholesaler of specialty food and drink. We supply between about fifteen hundred and two thousand independent retailers in the UK. As you mentioned, we were one of the first. B Corps in the UK, and we'll no doubt explain what that is later on. They're basically businesses that are existing for people and planet, not just profits. So I'm also an ambassador for that movement because I think it's incredibly important and it is the future of business and we're going to be in trouble unless more businesses go in that direction really quickly. So on to the back of that, I do quite a bit of speaking to other businesses to encourage them to to head in that direction and um, that's what i've been doing this week mainly actually and then we've also got a food hall and restaurant which is where i am today um this is set up uh, last year uh, and that's been a great experiment actually of, of putting in some of the stuff that i've learned over the last 22 years in a brand new business with no people that were in the the wholesale business in effect starting again and doing things a lot better than we did right at the start of the the wholesale business and uh, it's been a great experiment on on actually can we prioritize absolutely people and planet and still have a very successful business and fortunately the answer seems to be yes that's absolutely amazing, amazing news. Uh, you also, you know, you 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 said you were a speaker, but you're also author of two books. You 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 know, you've written about you know your learnings, so you could share with other people. Yes. So first book was Forces for Good, which is really just um, what I just said. It's uh, looking at businesses that are putting people and planet before profits. And coming out of the first book, I kind of realized that if we're really going to do that, if we're really going to act as business leaders with compassion and love, then we actually need to change ourselves as well, as well as trying to change the world. So the second book is called The Fourth Bottom Line, which is, you know, in some ways you've got people, planet, profits, and it is not a P but personal change, we could say. Uh, and I've been very, very aware in my journey that if I'm going to really do this properly, I need to change as a person, as a leader, and get away from some of the, you know, some of the bad examples of leadership that we are taught, probably in uh, business schools in the in the Western world. What about um, you know your 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 wholesale business has been around for some time and the interesting thing is that you didn't start in business you you started when i read the book you started in charity and you would think about doing good you were already starting out in the right place yes so it really was a business that was probably uh, i was a reluctant entrepreneur if you like um because i i was i've always been passionate about 
reversing injustice and that's something that as a business we've we've come back to strongly in the last few years so yeah you're right it was probably i think about 13 years in the in the charitable sector working in the inner city in london a poor part of uh, the country with lots of deprivation and need and um yeah worked in a team there dealing with people in prison um people on drugs a lot of poverty and you know horrendous social situations ran out of money so started selling food and drink to delis in london as they were on my doorstep and um the yeah just happened in some ways to be in the right place at the right time it was just at the time 1999 we started was just when the Speciality food was becoming a thing, and the, in effect, the the charity stuff got smaller, the business got bigger over the next few years. And um, yeah, obviously, that's uh, what I'm doing 100% of the time now. Now, the interesting thing was for the first, probably for the first, well, almost the first half of the, the business, I was still a bit of a reluctant business person. I probably, in some ways, my heart was in Africa or Asia, you know, running an orphanage for for kids. And I hadn't really grasped the sense that business could really be an agent to change the world. Um, even though we had actually started with, we employed, of our first five employees, we had a, a, an ex-drug addict, a recovering alcoholic, and someone just out of prison. So we, right at the start of the business, we were... I say we because there was another guy doing it with me initially. Um, so we, we had something right, but I hadn't really grasped the potential of good businesses to make a massive transformational difference in the world. That probably came about 10 years after I started. So and my heart was half in it probably for the first half of the business. And uh, now obviously it's, I'm absolutely convinced that good businesses can actually make the biggest difference in the world. In fact, the charity stuff is really mopping up the the mess that governments and businesses, businesses have left behind by not doing things well. So um, if we can do things well as businesses, we're, you know, we're reducing the need for, for charities to come in and bail the situation out and it's very interesting because your whole business philosophy has built on that and you also got the results like you built one of the you know the most uh, impactful businesses in in fine food but also you are one of the probably top wholesalers so actually you're proven that you know doing good actually is connected with business results yeah um and obviously with every there's always other reasons for our success but yeah, for sure. I mean, we we are in a lucky position as a wholesaler because we can have a big influence on lots of other businesses. We've got 450 suppliers and, as I said, you know, 1,500-odd customers. So we can, you know, if we say stuff, people listen. Um, and, we're, you know, we're very pleased that we've been able to influence a lot of other food and drink businesses Um through our work and that's one of the reasons why there are actually more b corp businesses within the food and drink sector than than any other sector in the uk 
not it's not all down to us by any means as companies like Kirk and Ella's Kitchen have also been very loud voices but we've we've added our voice to theirs and you talk about you know and you mentioned to me in the beginning that we have a critical you know we have maybe had that for for decades but right now we are such a critical point um around the challenges of the world the un have the, the 17 goals and so on and you're really an advocate for businesses get involved are you seeing that movement and you talk about in your books are you really seeing it happen or is it that something us that's really passionate about it and want to do it get a bit blinded they are, yeah i think there's been massive steps forward in particularly during covid so the last couple of years um maybe not so much before that i think there's a greater awareness now from businesses that actually if they're going to be successful they need to be acting on social and environmental issues because customers consumers business customers more and more are making decisions to buy from companies that are doing good and i think that's changed a lot during covid it's obviously being influenced by the gen y and gen z in particular uh, who are making those sustainable choices a lot more than the older generations so yes there is a, a big move movement in the right direction but also there's still a hell of a long way to to go and you know not many corporate businesses are acting for any other reason than making their shareholders more wealthy than they already are so if we're really going to see change we probably will need legislation at some point uh, and force businesses to do the right thing but uh, that might not be for a, a few years yet you talk about as well that you know that journey of building this more you know impactful heart-centered business is there like can you share some what has your learning been doing in that way because it doesn't sound like you know it's never easy to to build a business but it, there must have been other challenges at the time you did it you didn't do it now you've done it over uh, a 30-year period yeah it's not quite 30 years i'm not that old but um yeah so the big so just to back to that story so we you know we did there was some good dna at the company right at the beginning then my business partner left after a couple of years um and to be honest with you for about eight years yeah i was immersed in just trying to have a financially stable business you know normal startup situation of not having enough money to pay the wages on various occasions and having to but I actually borrowed some money from my dad one 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 month so I could pay the wages. It's all a bit embarrassing, but um, yeah. After about ten years, we we were a lot more sustainable on the financial side, and that's the point at which I can right. Okay, let's get back to what we originally started to do here and make a, a positive difference in the world. So. I wrote to a number of food charities, actually, as we were a food business, saying, okay, what can we, can we come and help you in any way? Happy to give you money and raise money, but we also want to get our hands dirty. I wrote to three or four food charities in the UK. None of them were interested in having us help them. Uh, and I didn't just want to give money to charity. That's a bit boring. But So I then remembered uh, a project in, in Kenya that some friends of mine were involved in. and um, 
thought, well, maybe this could be something we could get involved in. Went over there with my daughter in 2011. Was absolutely blown away by the poverty there. Um, I don't think I'd ever been to a place where people literally had nothing. I mean, some of them didn't even have shoes on their feet. So very, very humbling, very transformational for my daughter as well. Getting emotional thinking about it. Uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, I came back into the business and um, <laughs> for two weeks couldn't talk about it without crying. When I finally pulled myself together, did talk about it said, look, let's let's do something to help. Um, I don't know how many were there in the company at the time, maybe 30-ish, I guess. And someone put their hand up and said, work part-time, said, in, in the two days I don't work for you, I will organize a a charity ball and raise some money and then we can we can do something so that's what happened and we had our first ball and raised about twenty five thousand pounds and with that money I actually started a farm over in kenya but the interesting thing was and some of this is from hindsight but having something other than our normal business activities some some kind of good that we were doing really energized people in the business and it, it, you know, it brought a new dynamic for people to turn up to work in the morning because they knew, great, we're involved in something really good here. Um, so it put a new spring in people's step. And, you know, absolutely, that's, you know, that's been a massive factor in our business ever since. People, you know, I want people that work for us to come to work, A, enjoy it, but B, also know that they're doing some good from from turning up even though they may they may be doing a a routine job they know from them being there they're actually achieving something big by being part of our company and i think if you've got that you obviously get great people to work for you they tend to stay working for you longer than average and you know it adds a fantastic dynamic to the business and that actually makes people personally happier and more fulfilled too and looking back, is has this been become, you know, by accidental, a way of you to build culture and a better experience for your employees as well, doing projects as outside what you normally would do in a business? Yeah, so the, the B Corp framework has, has been really, really helpful in this. So the, for those that don't know, the B Corp is you go through a very long certification process, and mainly in, in five areas, governance, community, environment, workers and customers so through the assessment you you see the the points that you get and you've got to get over a certain number of points but you also see what you're not doing <laughs> and there's, there was a lot that we're not doing there still is so the best thing i ever did in terms of getting that culture embedded in the business um was to set up what we called very unoriginal name we set up uh, change groups so we had an internal environmental change group. We had an external one, which mainly focused on changing our suppliers. We had a, a workers group. Uh, and, and later on, we had a community group. And then we had an innovation group. And the only rule with these groups was no one on the leadership team could be in them. So the idea was they generated, right, how can we as a business be better in those different areas? And then they came back with generally good ideas and we put them into practice. And I think that changed us from being 
you know, from the good ideas coming from top down, if you like, to the good ideas being emerging from everyone in in the company. And, you know, generally, a lot of businesses make the mistake where they don't allow good ideas to come from anything other than the, the senior leadership team, which is wrong on all sorts of levels. But, um, yeah, that and it's not, you know, it didn't happen overnight. It probably took two, two and a half years for for that kind of process to to change. And after that, the, you know, there was a different dynamic in the um in the business and more people were engaged in in what we were doing and the kind of proof of the pudding on that if you like we do an impact report every year which says this is what we've done in the last year both on a business level and community and environment and everything else and now when i get that impact report and we're just just about i'm just about to see the proof of of this year's um one last year's at looking through those pages, most of the good things we've done aren't me. A lot of the good things we've done aren't even the leadership team. They're just other people in the business that have taken the initiative and and done some great stuff, which was really pleasing and energizing for me as a business leader. Yeah, so in a way, you drive the framework, but the uh, initiatives are in a way driven by the employees and what they find yeah yeah and and you know the the b corp community is, is helpful as well we very unashamedly nick steal and borrow ideas from other companies that are doing things better than us and likewise i'm sure other other companies uh, steal our good ideas too so yeah i mean that's that's the yeah that the, the, that's probably one reason i wrote forces for good really was to kind of propagate some of these good ideas more into the business community that um, maybe some people didn't know about. Yeah, and uh, your your fourth bottom line, if we just go to the other book as well, and we talk about culture here, you in a way say that's, that's, that's where it starts. It starts with the leader or the leaders in the business really working on themselves to create this kind of force for good. I think both go to, I think you've got to have the intention to do good and, and that's a you know a mind thing make a decision to be a business as a force for good that's definitely the way it went in in my case do we decided to be a good business but it was in the process of of trying to do that stuff i was very very aware that without some kind of greater depth of compassion and empathy and love and humility within me then it was going to peter out, run out of energy, and it wouldn't go anywhere. So I think the more we do, when the further we go down this journey, the more we as leaders need to embody um, some of those, what some people might call more spiritual um, uh, uh, things and changes within us that will make us not only a better person, but a, a much better business leader as well. What about, um, you know, as you as the you know, CEO and founder of the business, as you had to change yourself, and I guess you have to evolve all the time, but what has been one of the biggest challenges for yourself going from, you know, a traditional mindset about how to run business to be a force for good? What has you felt was the toughest bit to get around? Well, I hope everyone doesn't go through this, but... Um... 
I had a really traumatic five years of my life in some ways. The business was, you know, it was okay to some degree. But my first marriage split up. The business almost ended in 2014. Um, won't go into the details, but we, we put in a, a new computer system which almost killed everything we were doing. It's a quite a common story. And, and then soon after that, I actually ended up being in the back of an ambulance um, with malaria on my way to hospital. <laughs> so I think for me, and I think this is true for for quite a few people um i think there was certain elements of my ego that need to be stripped away you know my identity was probably too much in what i was doing rather than who i was and those kind of difficult times i think helped strip all that away and you know a lot of those i I, you know there were it was a horrible time in in many ways but now looking back on it all those three things were very good for me and have made me a, a better more compassionate leader and and, and interestingly I, you know i do think failure is actually important um most people who are successful have been through at least one failure in fact you know chairman of um FTSE 250 companies these days are looking for ceos who have had failure because it makes them more resilient and makes them a better stronger leader probably more vulnerable as well for the future and i think that's that's definitely what makes good leaders it's um people who are probably doing less and and being a bit more yeah and it's interesting vulnerability is actually okay don't to have the answer not to have the answer and in the way you said that the employees have the answers let's let's go and give them the opportunity to come up with these answers yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and being you know being vulnerable, it does get talked about quite a bit these days. But I used to be a leader where you know I thought my job was to be strong, you know, even when things was going wrong, to pretend everything was okay. And you know, there's a certain element that you know I think you don't want to get all your dirty washing out in front of you, the people that work for you. But also, you need to be vulnerable because. People are, you know, they need to. People need to know that the leaders of their business or organisations are actually human beings. And if they're, you know, if they've got this mask of pretension on all the time, that's not very human. So, if you are free as a leader to to cry in meetings, which has happened to me on several occasions, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad leader. It, it means people probably then actually trust you more um than they did before so yeah just uh men particularly can learn quite a lot in this area i think yeah it's super interesting you say that because i was thinking about my my younger version as well where i was um quite i would say quite elite soldier mindset in my role as a leader that had to look strong always optimistic finding a way um and probably more into what i was doing than 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 being in in principle and my whole identity was wrapped up in that job you're spot on and and you know that is a western disease this absolute obsession with productivity and activity and it's we can learn a huge amount from asia particularly on, on this kind of stuff and i've spent some time in 
India and learnt a lot from from there. But um, you know, we 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 just don't stop enough. Um, we headless chickens running around. If only we stopped more, sat back, reflected, we would make better decisions. Uh, we would run better businesses. I mean, I build into my diary generally at least half a day a week just to to sit, reflect, maybe read a bit, um, go for a walk possibly. And, you know, people, oh, we, he's not doing anything. Well, I actually I am. I'm being a leader. <laughs> and, you know, I, I do, I probably achieve a lot more now from doing a lot less than I used to because it's, it's better activity, having given some time to the the more intuitive and reflective side of us. And and it, it comes a bit back to your book, where you you're the the fourth bottom line, where you in principle give people a practical challenge over. You probably can remember how many days it is. I'm just looking it up here. Fifty days, fifty days, uh, a new word every day, like compassion or patient, and so on. What was your thinking about putting those out, you know, the word build with a quote and then for you to read your reflections and then go away and reflect self? Is that how you've done it yourself? Is that been your unconscious way of becoming a better leader, a more compassionate leader? Yes, I think I think some of those words have kind of built up in me over, over the years. Uh, so the, the, all the words, they're all characteristics of what I would say a good leader is. And there was originally going to only be 31 i thought one for each day of the month um but they kept coming <laughs> it ended up as being 50 and I, I probably have to stop at that point but i did i did do um i did put out i've got quite a lot of linkedin uh connections and i i put out a post uh on linkedin basically i'm writing this book on 50 characteristics of good leadership give me one and I had a of massive response, actually. Um, and all all the responses I got, which was over a hundred, um, were all covered in 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 the book, apart from one. And it was the word magnanimous, which I didn't really know what it meant. So I had to look it up. Um, but it was it was kind of co- it's, it's it's kind of forgiving benevolence is is the meaning of that word, and I covered those in other chapters anyway so yes i think i think there probably is a general awareness of what good leadership is it's just that we don't really reflect on it enough because we're too busy doing stuff (laughs) um so the idea of the book is to sit down at the start of each day and just give yourself 10 minutes to think yes i can do i can be kinder today for example uh, and then give give people some exercises they can do to put kindness into practice on that particular day. Yeah, there's one thing I think I would share with the audience is that I read the book and I followed uh, Paul's recommendation. I maybe read two chapters some days, um, but I actually some things where I found out, you know, I was I thought I was not busy, but I actually found out I had to stop doing, and actually made me really really think about some things and it, again the, the thing is that you can keep coming back to these things because you're never done that's not like uh you're not done training this this is a you know 
No, I'm still I'm still reading the book myself, <laughs> of course, <laughs> and I'm trying to do the exercises. Yeah, I think personally uh, that this is a great book for many to get started on if they they want to 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 do some transformation because it starts with you, as you said, and not the business. It starts with you and the rest that follows. Um, you talk a lot about um, you know. Uh, also, that you know, there was there was a, in in the book, you know, there's been there's been a transformation in society. There's more focusing on this. But what did the pandemic do, and what kind of um, learnings did you have as a CEO, founder of a business? Because you know, everybody was impacted somehow. You know, some some had really good business, other was challenging business, other was challenging in private life. You know, everybody had an experience out of this. Yeah, what did I learn? I think. Um... I think two two things that stop us being the kind of whole people that we're we're, we're meant to be, um, and one is connection with with people, uh, and the other is connection with nature. And I think this this happened ac- ac- widely across across the world, really, through the the pandemic. People realised how important it was to connect with others because when they were cut off from other people they valued their friends and family more and, and actually we we you know we made some really close friends during the the pandemic in our our village which uh, those relationships have been a real strength to myself and my wife and also the connection with nature um again you know a lot of us live in cities i've lived in cities most of my life manchester uh, and then London, uh, now live in the countryside. But, you know, we've lost that connection with nature, which, you know, uh, Homo sapiens has been around for hundreds of thousands of years. And we've only really lived in cities for about the last, well, 5,000 years, probably, cities and, and towns. So we've we've lost that connection that just... It brings life life to us, and a lot of people rediscovered that during the pandemic, didn't they? They they didn't really have anything to do but go for walks, <laughs> and uh, people were saying well, because there was no traffic, people noticed the birds singing for the first time, and yeah, I think um, if we could relearn connecting with people in a, in a you know in a deep way, not just a superficial way, and deeply connecting with nature, I think we would we would be transformed by those two things do you think we kept on to those good things of course everything slides when reality kicks in and uh, the busyness starts if we should use your yes probably not in some cases but i think i think people have to to some degree um i was at a, a a trade event last week which is the first big trade show since the pandemic and and there was so much um connection going on <laughs> people really really pleased to see each other and i think you appreciate the relationships you have a lot more don't you when you haven't had them it's like fasting if you haven't had food for a while you really enjoy it when you <laughs> can eat again so yeah hopefully some of it stayed but um the danger is of course um the, yeah the the massive focus on productivity might squeeze it out again yeah, and uh, it's like almost like uh, the good stuff, the productivity can almost become the enemy because we all know when we open our email or whatever it had, there's like lots of productivity tips and that's what we're talking about. How do we squeeze squeeze more out of uh, the minute? 
Well, actually, you're more productive if you turn your email off for most of the day, which is what I do. Um, and I encourage my team to do it. So we, I think some of this is about, we're certainly in the business context, it's about building habits into your business. So, for example, in many of our meetings, we actually have a period of complete quiet at the beginning, maybe do some breathing exercises, put some music on sometimes. I did actually bring in a meditation bell to the last last uh, board meeting, which a couple of people found a bit weird. But um, yeah, and I think that putting in those pauses into your day um, is actually really, really helpful. I think you, you generally have better meetings. And then we, so didn't finish it. So we have a period of quiet and then we do a check-in. So we ask people in the room, how are you feeling today? You know, tell us in two or three words. And sometimes, you know, they expand that. But A, A, you're getting more of the whole person in the meeting because they're, you know, if they're feeling crap, they'll they'll say nothing wrong with that. Um, And then you're also helping them to lay aside all the stuff they're thinking about and actually bring their whole selves into the meeting. And I think you have probably shorter better meetings if if you put in habits like that and it's just good for us to put those pauses into our day isn't it i love that you made it like a ritual because then everybody if they forget get paused at some point yeah yeah so i you know my meetings i always do that and i know the other leaders in the business do it in theirs too so it just kind of then passes passes down doesn't it what about yourself? Because you you run, you you're doing you're speaking, you you're involved in quite a lot of things. You write books. How do you show up pro? And you know, talking about productivity or you know being balanced with yourself. You have your half a day where you really take time for yourself or some hours out every week. But what else did you do? Um, I don't do much really. Uh, <laughs> well, I realized um, a few years ago I'm not, probably not that good at most things but um i'm quite good at finding good people to do things i'm not very good at um so that's really my main focus is to to just look after the good people i've got and check they're happy and doing what they're good at um culture really that's the main thing i i I work on is just making sure the culture of the business is, is maintained. And um, that was probably one of the biggest challenges last year was we set up this uh, food hall and restaurant here in uh, near Bristol. Um, and could we, you know, could we replicate what we'd already had without any of the same people um, start again and get that culture right from the beginning? And fortunately... The answer is yes. We've got we've got some great people working here. They absolutely get what we're doing. They're thoroughly committed to it, and it's actually a really easy job to to help maintain and build that culture. Yeah, and also because it's such a different business model as well. It, 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 of course, the food is the shared element, but again, it's a very different business model. Yeah, and the interesting thing is actually um, so. In danger of getting emotional again. Um, I found myself, and not just me actually, some other people. We found ourselves getting quite emotional when we were here, which doesn't happen in the, in the wholesale business. 
And it's almost like, because this is a consumer-facing business, it's almost the kind of picture I that came to mind when I was thinking about this was, it, the, you know, the wholesale business is very, you know, a lot of stuff goes on there. We move, I think, nearly 2 million boxes a year. So a lot happens. It's like the body and the legs and the arms all moving frantically. And, and it's almost like the consumer-facing side of the business, which is Flourish, it's almost like that was the face. So you can almost see into the business as a whole through through here. And, I, you know, it's in some ways it's a bit obvious because if you're dealing directly with consumers, you, you're kind of out there a lot more. But it was interesting um, when my kids came to visit. Uh, one of my, my oldest lives in the, the States, so he was, he was over last year. Uh, and his brother and sister came with him. And... Um, they, it's almost like they finally got what I've been doing all these years. You know, they've been in the business, they've been in the helped in the warehouse at weekends in the past, and some of them have done work placements in the office. But coming here and actually seeing how happy the people were that worked here, it almost helped them understand what I've been doing for the last 22 years. So. <laughs> he said, Dad, Dad, the, the people here seem really happy. It's amazing. It's not like anywhere else we've been. Oh, yeah. Good. Well done. <laughs> and that, that, that's like, you know, the proof point, you know, because your your kid says the, the truth, don't they? That, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Was there like any steps you could share in how you, because you started from scratch, you know, and there's a lot of leaders to think, though, the, 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 the recent business, I, the business I'm in now, we can't change. It's all embedded in the culture, the ritual is so hard, but like, was there some steps that came really clear for you when you do this culture? Um, well, getting the right leadership team is, is, is clearly the, the biggest one. So that was, that was my main focus was to get six people who could really propagate what we were doing. And actually when, once they started, we then basically put, we didn't let them really do anything for a week. Um, put them in a room together and did some stuff with them with a, um, some people that have helped us with the business, um, Andrew and Eudora. And, um, you know, they basically worked on their inner stuff for a week um, and helping them to, you know, get to know each other, obviously, but also get to know themselves and to work out what, you know, more about themselves and their, uh, yeah, that was a great. Found, I think there was. I wasn't in the room, but there was lots of tears and um, lots of depth going on, which then, you know, was a great foundation for for doing what we've achieved since. So, and then they, you know, as I said before, most of the the team here are under thirty five, some a lot younger, and they, you know, they get this stuff probably better than old people like me anyway. So. Uh, it's super interesting that it's quite brave as well because if you told most leaders you need to put a new leadership team you know to get in a room and start talking about the inner stuff it would almost be you, you know where i'm coming from now it would almost be like uh, that they will almost resign 
if they had to do that because that that's just you're going too far now i i'm thinking about my my, my old past in a very corporate environment i see i could see that i i will be very excited about it but i think uh, but it's so interesting and it's actually interesting as well as a new generation comes into leadership positions actually that's why maybe also where we have a chance really to accelerate uh business for good yeah i mean none of those people were from a corporate background actually but um there's two or three people who are in the wholesale business who when we started introducing this stuff they were they were fairly they would absolutely admit it they were pretty skeptical about it in fact you know one of them was very skeptical about it because i know uh, about some conversations he had with other people but having been in it for a while he's now actually one of the strongest advocates for all this stuff in fact we've we've got which is we've got our uh, we work with a logistics company so we outsourced our logistics about five or six years ago and the company we work with now that do all our warehousing and deliveries they're actually going through this program at the moment now there's they will be the only logistics company in the probably in, in the uk certainly very kind of masculine macho world and yet they're doing this stuff in their leadership team currently um and that's as a result of dave who was was skeptical about it with to start with but he's he's now one of the biggest advocates of it because he's seen the difference it makes and it's super interesting you're actually now in impacting you know not just your, your customers but your suppliers and they are taking some of these practices that must be a, a massive satisfaction because you're talking about building better businesses yeah and, and you know we, they've seen our success i guess you know we've more than doubled the business in the last two years so when you know when you can see that actually this stuff works it adds a bit more weights to your voice anyway doesn't it um, it seems like you are you are quite on top of what you you're doing, Paul. But I have to ask you this question: The universe always keep on putting a a challenge in front of us, no matter what. We never learn, and it, it, it knocks us over one time after another. What is what is yours? Well, currently, um, the well, we, we I, you know the economic climate in the in the UK currently is, is not a great one. So we've had you know fabulous two years growing at. 50 percent both of both of those years um i don't think that'll happen this year it's going to be more challenging um and yeah but i think you know i think if you hold lightly um the good times it, it you know enables you to be more resilient in the the less good times so even if we do have less good times this year then you know i don't think we'll be we're not gonna lose faith in in what we're doing at all so yeah, that's probably the the first thing that comes to mind with that question right now. And and that leads me actually to the next thing I wanted to ask you. So, what um, you know, what do you think the future holds then for for you guys? You 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 know, launch your your food business or your restaurant and food business last year. The food hall, you have the wholesale business. Are there any other businesses um, you want to explore? And what is the next five years? What is the vision in principle? That's the question probably. So on the in the wholesale business, our vision would be to to be better in in tech because I think that's the way things are going to go. Um, we need to, you know, we 
we need to let our tech catch up with the rest of us. And I think if we lead in tech, we will continue to to lead the sector. So that's a, that's a big one. And you know, growth as a wholesaler is actually okay. I mean, I, I don't believe in in GDP growth. Actually, I think we probably need to shrink. But as a wholesaler, because we're consolidating uh, and because we're you know providing food and drink, which people need to live, um, uh, growth for us is is actually okay because it's reducing the amount of vehicles on the road and therefore reducing carbon and we're planning on being fully electric on all our delivery by 2030 anyway in terms of flourish um i'm currently looking at a window there which is our next phase which is a, a gift shop and a wellness center we've got um, lots more room behind where there are some disused buildings which we will we will refurbish and repurpose. Um, we're also looking at potential second flourish site as well, somewhere else. Um, that's probably enough to be going on with. For, <laughs> for it sounds, sounds like a, a main, a maintaining what, what you have. Well, that's super, super interesting, uh, Paul. What What is, um, you know, uh, you know, you, you ask these questions to people yourself, but what, leader or business leader do you admire because you must have got your inspiration from somewhere yeah so okay so that's the reason i actually wrote the fourth bottom line is because it's an interview question i always ask and i very rarely get a good answer is who has most inspired you in your life and i'd say excluding family members to stop them saying their mum and dad nothing wrong with that but who else has inspired you? And and there's very rarely a good answer to that question. So simple thing here is we need more inspiring leaders for sure, because it's sad that not enough people can give a good answer to that question. I mean, the person I most admire as a leader and probably can teach more to business leaders than any other business, any business book would be Nelson Mandela. Um, I found his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, one of the most transformational books I've ever read. And, you know, a lot of the material in, in the fourth bottom line is is, is from his example. Um, if, if more business leaders learnt more from someone like him, I think we'd have a lot better businesses around. Um, in terms of Business as a force for good. There's a friend of mine called Ed Perry who runs a, who was a co-founder of the business called Cook, which supplies remarkable food for your freezer. <laughs> um, and he he was the one that first introduced me to, to B Corp. So I would have to thank him enormously for that as well. Super interesting, yeah, because normally people would, and you say that, I think I read that in one of your books or maybe one of your podcasts I listen to, you talk about most people will say Richard Branson or some kind of, you know, really, really, you know, top, top corporate entrepreneur. Um, and often people actually forget the leaders they're working with in the day-to-day level. And I can still remember my... I think it was my second business manager year as I worked for McDonald's, uh, Hans Eck. He's the one that has had like the most impact for me to become a better version of myself and leader because I was probably a bit too 
relaxed, a bit too too arrogant in a way. I was thinking I was faster and better than everyone. And he said, if you want to be a real leader and you want to be a leader in my restaurant, you need to start working on yourself and just be a little bit less loud. And that was like <laughs> a, a game changer. Like, I mean, that's one of the leaders that I had that admired me. And he said, you're never done learning. It's never a waste of time to learn, no matter what you learn. If only there were more people in kitchens like him. It's uh, <laughs> they're not normally uh, like that, are they? Yeah, I mean, if you put me on the spot, I would probably say a teacher I had at uh, primary school, actually, who invested a huge amount of time in me and another guy in the same class. And, you know, he probably helped my love of nature. He used to go out in, you know, bird watching and deer stalking and things like that. So, yeah, and, and you know, teachers are remarkably influential and can be massively inspiring um so i was actually talking at a head teachers conference this week which was a absolute privilege because you just know in that room how many people can they influence it's it's thousands isn't it so um yeah i mean i my daughter is a teacher so i'm slightly biased but um i think teachers are probably massively undervalued and should be looked up to as inspirational leaders too. So, so Paul, to, to wrap up thing here in the end, I just want to ask you a couple more questions. And, and the first one is that, uh, what is the the one question you wish to have asked you and what would you have answered? So it's a question that I have been asked before is what is the biggest lesson you've learned in your business career? My answer well, probably two answers to this. One is, as soon as you can, get the best people you can. Because good people will, or if you have to pay them more, they will always save you the extra that you you might pay them. In the, in the early days of a business, it's easy to, well, I can't really afford that, that good person because things are tight, da-da-da-da. No, take them on anyway and they will always pay for themselves. The second answer to that question is, and and the the times I've made my biggest mistakes, actually, three occasions that come to mind, is when I haven't gone with my gut or instinct. I've let other people persuade me that a certain course of action was the right one when it wasn't. And deep down, I kind of knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I let myself be persuaded by other people. So they're probably the two. Get great people and go with your gut. I love that, uh, Paul. And I especially love that one because that's also one I've experienced myself. It, uh, I think I read a book. I think it's good to great. It says it's, uh, it's, it's not what you pay, it's who you pay. And it says this very well in a way. And, and I think often, especially in, in smaller businesses and startup businesses, we often forget that because we get so focused on survival sometimes. But actually, sometimes you need these people in to really lift you out of survival mode. Um, where, where can people find out more about you, the businesses you're involved in, and how can they connect with it? So me, my personal website is paulhargreaves.co.uk, which is my kind of speaking and writing side. Uh, the wholesale business is cotswold-fair.co.uk. And the retail business, Flourish, 
is flourish at glenavon.co.uk. Thank you so much, Paul, for, for joining us, talking about uh, business for as a force for good, and also talk about how we change to a more compassionate leadership style uh, to make a better future. Thanks for having me. really enjoyed it. Wow, amazing, Paul. Really enjoyed this conversation. Great to learn practically how you start building a business that makes profit and impact at the same time. You should now reflect on how you can ensure that your business gives more than it takes. And to get further inspiration on how to build a more purpose-driven business, tune in to episode 9 of Hospitality in the Infinite Game, where David and I talk about net positive. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to Be Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bisimply.com or via their social at bisimply or bisimplyhq. You can also Email them directly at advice at bissimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlton, who's the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter to get more Maverick insights at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick.